If you happen to find Zephaniah earlier, you can turn back to that. If you haven't found Zephaniah yet, I have a page for you in the in the bulletin, page 933, if you're using one of our Bibles. If you're using your own and looking for it, turn to Matthew in the New Testament and then flip back four books, four short books. We're going to read chapter 3, verses 1, and uh, I'm going to end at verse... Um, I'm going to end with verse 17. Woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials are roaring lions. Her rulers are evening wolves who leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are arrogant They are treacherous men. Her priests profane the sanctuary and do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no wrong. Morning by morning, he dispenses his justice, and every new day, he does not fail. Yet the unrighteous know no shame. I have cut off nations. Their strongholds are demolished. I have left their streets deserted with no one passing through. Their cities are destroyed. No one will be left, no one at all. I said to the city, surely you will fear me and accept correction. Then her dwelling would not be cut off, nor all my punishments come upon her. But they were still eager to act corruptly in all that they did. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day I will stand up to testify I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them, all my fierce anger. The whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. And then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, my scattered people will bring me offerings. On that day you will not be put to shame, For all the wrongs that you have done to me, because I will remove from this city those who rejoice in their pride. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill, but I will leave within you the meek and the humble who trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong. They will speak no lies, nor will deceit be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you, and never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, O Zion, do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord, your God, is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Back in uh, summer of 2005, had one of the more thrilling moments of my life. We were on a, a youth mission trip. Um, went to North Carolina on the way back home. Passed through 
Tennessee, and uh, our group, there's about 40 of us in this group, went uh, white water rafting on the Ocoee River in Tennessee. Uh, the Ocoee was uh, one of the, the bodies of water that um, when the Olympics were held in Atlanta in 1996, uh, that was used for the kayaking events. And so there's rapids on the Ocoee River. And uh, we, shot, we showed up at our, our outfitter, uh, had a short orientation with them where the outfitters went over the, 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 the do's and the don'ts of uh, whitewater rafting. And I remember one person in our group asking, so uh, how many people usually fall in? And the, um, our, our guide uh, said, we're usually about one in ten. And I was thinking, okay, one in ten. Um, those aren't bad odds. So 40 people, 1 in 10 fall in. How many people would, would fall in if that? Yeah, four people. I'm thinking I can live with four people. Uh, and then we all put on our life vests. We grabbed uh, paddles. Uh, I remember the teenagers um, just kind of, you know, the way they grab those paddles is like, these are our weapons against the, the, the river. And uh, we hiked down to the river to start getting in the rafts. Now, just giving you a little sneak peek on where the story is headed, uh, it was not uh, one in ten that wound up falling into the river. It was uh, one in four. And so, so how many people does that mean wound up in the river of our group of 40? Yeah, we had ten people in the river. Uh, so things were about to, to get interesting. And when we got down to the riverbank, uh, there were these... Uh, nice, stout, red rafts for us to get in. And six people would get in at a time, including the guide that was in, actually not including the guide that was in the boats. Um, and um, uh, I, I, the, the interesting thing was when the, the, the guides realized that they needed to pull out more rafts for our group. And so we got in these boats, these rafts, and then we saw this this raft that they pulled out like it was like pulling out a a horse that was sent out to pasture to retire but had to be brought back into service it was this floppy uh faded red uninflated raft and they brought it to the river get in so we saw six of our companions get in this floppy raft and we all thought whoa we are so glad that we aren't you um, and we got in the river. And there were class three and four uh, rapids on the stretch that we were going on. Those are kind of moderate to, to moderate fast rapids. Uh, the, the river was, was fast and it's sometimes furious. And every once in a while, indeed, we saw a person fall in um, after going through one set of rapids. You know, the person would fall into the, to the water and then the raft would, you know, find that person and, and he'd get back in or she'd get back in the raft pretty easily. And we got to a certain rapid. This was, you know, almost an hour and a half into our ride. Uh, certain rapid, each rapid had a name, and this one was like the, the school crusher or something like that. Um, and uh, we saw a few more people get tossed in the water as we went through this particular rapid. And, uh, and then... Um, and then we saw the, the floppy 
red raft, the pale red raft, go through this rapid, and the whole raft wound up in the water. Um, everyone got tossed out, including the guide on that floppy red raft. And one of my friends, one of the adult leaders on the trip, his name was Harry, and he was a man in his 60s, uh, just a sweet, sweet gentleman. Um, he went in the water and he said, I, for 30 seconds, I had no idea which way it was up. Um, and uh, just, it was just insane turbulence. And now, now Harry uh, was uh, married to his wife, Pat. Pat um, was on the trip with us. And they didn't have any kids. Um, he had a great career, great life. And he said that he had this thought when he was in, in the turbulent waters, not knowing which way it was up. Uh, he said that he had this thought, Lord, if this is it, then I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, he had this peace. He did gash his knee horribly on some rock. But other than that, had this, this peace kind of go, um, go through him in that moment. And then he said, then all of a sudden, these two hands pierced through the water and grabbed him by his life vest and pulled him in, into, the, the, into the boat. Harry was back in the boat. But I want to ask you this question this morning. Uh, have you ever been in turbulence like that? Maybe not in a crazy river, but maybe that's a metaphor for a time in your life. Um, just this period of, of great turbulence where you didn't know which way was up. You didn't know how to get out of the turbulence. Uh, maybe where things seem just completely out of control. question for us this morning is, can you be sure that in the turbulence of life that God is, is right there with you and he's, he's ready to just reach down and grab you by the, the life vest and grab onto you and keep you safe? Can you know that? How can you know that? So Zephaniah is uh, one of the, 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 the prophets of the Old Testament, one of the several prophets that we have um, recordings of. We're going through the Bible this year and kind of getting nearer to the end of the Old Testament. Zephaniah was a prophet during one of the most turbulent times in, uh, in the history of the ancient Israelite people. And at this point in time, uh, the people, the Israelites living near Jerusalem, in and near Jerusalem, um, they are on the brink of a national disaster. They have this powerful army that is threatening to conquer them uh, militarily and take the Israelites away as captives. And this is happening because of spiritual rebellion that has been taking place in God's people for, for some time, decades uh, going on, centuries of this, this slow descent into spiritual rebellion for the Israelites. And um, they have worshipped the false gods of the nations around them. And God is, is exercising judgment against them. And so that's why we read so much of what you heard in the beginning of Zephaniah chapter 3, these words of judgment. Um, if we were to turn back a couple of chapters in, in, Je- in Zephaniah, we would read uh, the, the prophet saying that no one is going to escape um, the, the judgment of God. Let me read a, a few verses from chapter uh, 1 
Verses 2 and 3, God says, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both man and beast. I will sweep away the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble. So the, the picture is, yeah, you can't run, you can't hide from the judgment of God. Verse 17 and 18, I will bring such distress on the people that they will grope about like those who are blind because they've sinned against the Lord. And get this, neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on that day of God's wrath. Um, No one is exempt. Wealth can't save you. So rich and poor, men and women, people from all nationalities, read in chapter 2, this list of these different nations that will fall under the judgment of God. All people, every person answers to God, in other words. So Zephaniah gives this uh, call to turn t- to the Lord. And in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, uh, Before the decrees take effect, and that day, the day of judgment, passes like windblown chaff before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you, Verse 3, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. You who do what he commands, seek righteousness, seek humility, and perhaps, perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. Now, I thought about that last phrase um, of verse 3, repent and perhaps you will be sheltered. And I think many people live with this perhaps God Mentality. Perhaps God will come to your rescue. Uh, seems like they have a little assurance in their walk with God, and so they try to do a variety of things to secure their, their fortunes with God or secure God's blessings for them. About five years ago, a um, different youth mission trip went to Louisville, Kentucky, where there is a a large Somali Muslim immigrant population there, and there's this international mall that um, that many of the Muslims shop at, work at, and uh, on this mission trip we were able to go and visit with the the Muslims, and um, one of the things that Muslims have is a graphic understanding of the judgment day before God. And we were visiting with one of the, the restaurant owners, and he just you know, kind of described his, his understanding. All of your actions will, laid out, will be laid out before God on that day of judgment. And um, he said, even, you know, there's no escaping um, the, the truthfulness of that moment. Even if you deny some of the wrongs you commit, he said, even your eyes, your hands, your lips will testify to what you have done wrong or saw, watched what was wrong or did wrong or, or spoke what was wrong. And, and whether you go to heaven or, or, or whether you go to hell depends, uh, they would say, on your good deeds outweighing your bad deeds. And if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds for the Muslims, that's a, good, that's, that's a good sign. However, when we were talking to uh, this gentleman, you could tell he had this perhaps God mentality. He said, 
But even if your good outweighs your bad, the belief is that going to heaven is still only perhaps. Perhaps if God looks favorably on you. Perhaps if you still haven't angered God too much. Perhaps if God is feeling benevolent or generous or merciful, you'll go to heaven. So I think many people, Muslim and not, live with this perhaps God will mentality. Perhaps God will bless us, or perhaps he won't. Perhaps our, 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 our futures are safe and secure in God's hands, or perhaps they, they aren't. Perhaps we've gone too far in displeasing God. Perhaps the misfortunes or the breaks that we don't get in life are signs of either God's displeasure of our lives or God's disinterest, that God is just not active and these bad things are happening to us because God said, I'm out. So have you, have you ever lived in this tension where you wonder, oh, can I be assured that God is here to save me? So as we walk through Zephaniah chapter 3, I, I, I want to give you three words, and you can write these words in the note sheet if you would like, but three words that I wrote down as, as I was reading through Zephaniah chapter 3 that I think helps us understand how you can know how God will act towards us. The first word is remnant. Remnant. Chapter 3 opens with a stunning rebuke of, of God's people. If you have your Bible still open to Zephaniah 3, just look at these first um, four verses. You, you'll find, commentators like to point out, about 12 things that, that God identifies as sinful actions or attitudes of the people. We won't go through all 12. Let's just point out some of them, though. And you can even underline some of these in your, in your Bibles if you like. Um, woe to the city of oppressors. And this is Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem that God is addressing. It's a city of oppressors. They're rebellious. They're defiled. Verse 2, the city obeys no one, accepts no correction, uh, does not trust the Lord, does not draw near to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Or God has these commands that you're that these people were, were violating. But one of, one of the things that God desires of the people is that they would draw near to him. But they're not doing that. They're like roaring lions. They're like wolves ready to devour others around them. So you can just see these, these accusations of the Lord in these first four verses of Zephaniah 3 against his people. And God could just wipe them all out. But instead, he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a handful of these people. I'm going to take a portion, a remnant of these people, and I'm going to do something very important through them. Verses 11 and 12 speak of an important part of the storyline in Zephaniah and also in the nation of Israel storyline of God's people, the Israelites. Verse 11 and 12, God says, I will remove from you your arrogant boasters, but I will leave with you the meek and the humble, the remnant of Israel. What will they do? They will trust in the name of the Lord. 
So one of the most important things to notice is that not everyone in God's people were on the path to God. (laughs) There will be this great day of judgment, and, and many who might assume that they are safe will not be. A little more from chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 12, says this. God says, At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps. I will punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think, "Eh, the Lord will do nothing. The Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. So, get this. The complacent ones that God is speaking out against here, the ones who will be punished, they are the ones who are surprised that God actually acts and intervenes. Because they're assuming that God is going to do nothing, neither good nor bad. What does this reveal about those those people, that those Israelites that God is speaking out against? It reveals that they don't really know the Lord. Because they're just assuming he's going to do nothing. They don't know him. Why... Why are these Old Testament, this is an aside here, think about this. Why, why, why are these Old Testament prophets recorded in our sacred scriptures? Why do, we, why do we hang on to their words? Because they warn us too. Not all who think that they are or assume that they are right with God are right with God. Not everyone who just habitually walks through the doors of a church, are on the path to God. The idea that you can act like your life belongs to you and not God, so that you can do whatever you please and expect everything to be fine between you and God, there's just no support for that kind of attitude in the Bible, that I can just act like this is my life and do whatever I want to with it, and all will be fine with God. That's what the prophet is saying. And you might ask, oh, yeah, 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 but is that just the Old Testament? Is that just these Old Testament angry prophets? You know, Jesus winds up saying something very similar to the people in his day. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, many will say to me on that day, next slide, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you, Jesus says. And you know what that means? That means that they never really knew Jesus. They didn't know the Lord. It's the same accusation that Zephaniah makes, or that God makes in in Zephaniah. There are some, they just don't know me. But there's this remnant who will be faithful. What does this remnant encourage us to do? The remnant encourages us to examine our faith, examine our hearts, Examine our hearts honestly. And, and, um, and what do we look for in our hearts 
as an indicator that we're the faithful remnant. Well, verse 12 in chapter, 13, in chapter 3 says something really important. And we read it earlier. God says, I will leave within you, this is the remnant, I will leave within you the meek and the humble. The meek and the humble. Look in your Bible, verse 8. In verse 8, God says, wait for me. Now let me ask you a question. Whenever you hear that from God, wait for me. Wait for me. Um, at least when I hear, wait for me from God, I'm thinking, okay, this is, God is encouraging me. God is saying, wait for me. I will come to your aid. I will come to your rest. You just wait for me. Just, just wait for me, and, I, and, I, and I'll be there for you. But that is not what God is saying here in, when he says, wait for me in Zephaniah chapter 3. Uh, when God says, wait for me in Zephaniah 3 verse 8, God says this, therefore wait for me as far as I can tell. God is saying this, wait for me uh, because I've decided to gather the kingdoms and pour my wrath out on them. That seems like a word of warning to me. Wait for me. So we have to examine our hearts before the Lord. The second word as we work through Zephaniah 3 is repent. We look at our inner lives, we reflect on what God says in the first four verses of chapter 3, and we ask those questions of ourselves. Am I being rebellious against the commands of, of the Lord? Um, am I being rebellious? Does, does God say, go this way, but I'm instead going this way? Instead. Um, do I accept any correction when I am wrong? Or do I act like someone's offending me by pointing out some correction that is needed? Uh, do, I, do I love my brothers and sisters in my church family? Or, using some of the images of Zephaniah 3, those early verses, am I like a, a roaring lion or am I like a wolf that's ready to devour Someone in my life, or maybe a fellow Christian in my church. Am I? Am I? Or, or, or maybe, maybe that's how I'm just acting in my heart. Maybe I, I won't say anything to them, but inwardly, I'm, I'm like this, this wolf that is wishing to devour someone. You know, when God, God says, when I do this, or when His people do this, He says, uh, "You profane the sanctuary of the Lord." It's something good for us to think about as we get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper as a family today. So we, we look at our inner lives, and, and if I see any of those actions or attitudes in me, then I, then I have an opportunity to be very humble. And even if I don't see these things in me, I know that I can deceive myself, and so I still want to be very humble before the Lord. Be humble and repent. And say to the Lord, God, have mercy on me and save me from my self-destructive ways and change me. So what are the traits of those who are in the remnant? Repentance and humility are traits of those in this remnant that God says, I will preserve this remnant. 
Do you know what humility looks like? I thought of my friend Harry in that Okoe River where he's just being tossed and turned, and he just says, Lord, if this is it, I, I'm good. You're, you're a good God. My life is in your hands. Not, not my will, but your will. That's, that's humility. That's repentance before the Lord. And when you do that, when you, when, when you show this repentance and humility before the Lord, what does that mean for you? Look at verse 14. It means, it means hope. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. So for that third word, as we look at Zephaniah 3, the word is rejoice. When we're repentant and humble before the Lord, we can rejoice. If you have humbly trusted your life to God and his son, Jesus Christ, Zephaniah 3 becomes a grounding text in the Old Testament for us. You know what a grounding text is? It's it's the one that you turn to when you're like, okay, God, I want to know how you're, you're responding in this moment. It's a grounding text. It's what we attach ourselves to. It's what we sink our, our faith in. And these last few verses, verses 14 through 17, become a grounding text for us. See, the Bible presents, if we look throughout the Scriptures, the Bible does present some, some, some stern images of God. You can think of God when, when the Israelites appear before him at Mount Sinai, and he gives the Ten Commandments to, to Moses to give to the people. Uh, the, the image that is given is pretty intense. There's, there's fire, there's smoke, there's... Just this howling wind and lightning flashing, darkness. It's really a pretty intense scene. What does that scene tell us about God? He means business. Or the prophet Habakkuk, just, just before this book of Zephaniah that we read, Habakkuk says that God's eyes are too pure to look on evil. God cannot tolerate wrongdoings, what that says. You look in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews God is called a consuming fire. So we looked at the scriptures, and there's some pretty intense images that are given of God. And sometimes God is not to be trifled with, in other words. So you may be thinking, okay, in my life, God, you've seemed rather distant lately. Are you disappointed in me? Are you frustrated in me? Are you angry at me? Are you tired of looking at my sin? None of those, because Zephaniah 3, verses 14 through 17, become a grounding text for us. When you have repented and you are humble before God, you can know. What does God do? He has taken away your punishment. So rejoice. The remnant can rejoice and be grounded in God's Delightful love. Delightful love. Because we know that God takes delight in us. As we look through those last few verses that we read, he will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you. God will rejoice over you with singing. You know how we can know that this is a a grounding text for us, a grounding image for us? 
we can know because God has given us another grounding image for us. You see, this chapter in the Bible, Zephaniah 3, it's been referred to by some as the John 3, 16 of the Old Testament. God so loves the world that he, he, he so loves, he's so delighted, he rejoices over his people that he, he gives his one and only son. And whenever you wonder what God is like, you look to his son, you look at his son Jesus Christ on the cross, dying for sinners, dying because he so loves you. And in Christ's death on the cross, how can we know that God looks on us with delight and rejoices over us with singing? When Christ died on the cross, God took everything that was dark inside of my heart, dark inside of your heart, and laid that on Christ. But he did more than that on the cross. He took all of Christ's beauty and all of Christ's faith in the Lord and his Christ's pure love and joy in his heart, what made him beautiful, and God placed that on us, that beauty of Christ. And so when God looks at you, he sees not your sin, but the radiant beauty and holiness of Christ. That's how God looks at you when you put your trust in Christ and his work on the cross. And God rejoices over you. And he loves you so much, he sings over you. So when you wonder, how does God think about me? Because I haven't looked too good lately, you might be thinking. Think of how God the Father feels about his son Jesus. And that's exactly how God feels about you. Let's prepare our hearts as we get ready to worship the Lord and then celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we want to repent to you this morning and be humble. Father, we never want to take your grace for granted. You promise the forgiveness of our sins, but, Father, we do want to sin less and less. Will you change our hearts? We confess the sins of our hearts to you now. The sins that we've committed, the disbelief in our hearts, the the anger, the hatred that we can have towards others who are not like us. the animosity. We want to confess to you the fear that we have in our hearts, the worry, the anxiety. When we tend to maybe think you're not going to do anything, either good nor bad, this just disbelief in, in your goodness and your intent to be with us and to, to rescue us. We confess that to you. And as we come before you now, We ask that you would call into our minds Christ our Savior in his beauty, the resurrected Lord in his beauty. And then call into our hearts this truth, this grounding truth, that the way that you see our resurrected Lord Jesus, that's how you see us. That is the love, the affection, the delight, the 
the, the joy that you have over your children who trust in you. Give us great confidence and hope. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.